Welcome to Marquette Missionary Church. Here's today's message. I do have a couple questions for you guys this morning. My first question is, have any of you tended sheep or been a shepherd? See, my research showed that there'd be a lot of people raising their hands up here in Marquette County. Maybe I was wrong, I don't know. Well, how about a sheep as a pet? Anyone? Yet it is easy for us to picture a shepherd in shepherd's robes. Many of you have seen them in children's books, or you've seen them on TV, or you've seen them in movies, or if you've read the Old Testament through, sheep and shepherds and flocks are everywhere in the Old Testament. And I'm sure many of you even know and can list off names of different shepherds throughout the Old Testament, both figurative and literal. When Saul was rejected by God as Israel's first king, Samuel, the last judge of Israel, was told to go, and Jesse would present his sons, and God would choose from among them who would be the next king of Israel. Well, they went through all the sons, and one after another, God's like, nope, that's not the king of Israel coming up here. Well, where was Jesse's youngest son, David? Does anyone know? He was tending the sheep, you got it. And was perhaps the most well-known psalm in the entire Bible, Psalm 23, David calls the Lord his shepherd. Some other Old Testament shepherds of note, Abel, Cain's brother, was a shepherd. Abraham had a massive flock. He had massive amounts of livestock. He was considered very wealthy, and people actually feared him. But he had a a huge flock. Rachel, Jacob's future wife, when he first encountered her, was tending her father Laban's sheep. And then Moses, after he killed an Egyptian, he fled, and he ended up tending his father-in-law Jethro's flock for quite a long time. So the metaphor of sheep and shepherds and flocks is also prominent throughout the Old Testament. Israel, at various times, when they kind of got off track a little bit, the prophets would refer to them as sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus, in Mark 6, 34, even echoes this. When he sees the crowds, his heart is filled with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, you can write this down, or you can come to me later for the list. But the different prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Micah, and Zechariah, all talk about the Lord as shepherd of Israel. And if you wanted the reference about Jesse, or about David tending his father's sheep, that's 1 Samuel 16.11, if you need the reference. So throughout the book of John, Jesus utters seven I am statements. The first one, which is found in John 6, verse 35, the crowd had been talking about the bread from heaven. They were talking about the manna with Jesus, and they said, can you give us this manna, more of this bread? And he's like, I have something way better. And he replied, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then second, in John 8, chapter tw- verse 12, after the illumination of the temple, where they lit up the entire temple and all of Jerusalem was lit up by these lights, in the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus uttered, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so today we're going to take a look at Jesus' third I am statement, as found in John chapter 10. And yes, it is all about sheep. Let's pray this morning. Dear Lord, we, we do thank you that you are with us and that you care for us. We thank you for your word and the impact of your word in our lives. And I just ask this morning, as we look at your word, that you speak directly through your word this morning, that you may bless us with what you want us to hear as we listen to your voice today. And I just ask that you bless us as we listen so we can take it with us into the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'll talk about sheep for a few minutes here. Now, some of you sitting here might not think it's a super flattering thing to be compared with sheep. I would agree with you. Being, considered, being called sheep maybe isn't the most flattering thing in the world. For one, they, they seem to be afraid of everything. They are kind of wimpy. They need protection at all times. And if they go to a stream, they're not going to drink from a stream. That's moving water. They have to have still water. Otherwise, they won't even drink it. And so here we are in John chapter 10. Jesus is comparing us to sheep. But yet, sheep do know the shepherd's voice very intimately. They listen to the shepherd. If a stranger tries to come in and tries to tell them what to do or guide them, they won't listen to that voice. They're very intimately connected to the shepherd. You can go to the next slide there, Eddie. At the end of chapter 9, just before chapter 10, Jesus healed a man born blind. And of course, the Pharisees are watching because more and more the Pharisees have been pretty much watching everything that Jesus has been doing, very critical of it. And so they kind of sarcastically, they're like, well, are we blind as well? After he heals this man born blind. And Jesus, obviously, as always, can see right through them. And he pretty much says to them, because you claim to be able to see, you claim to already be good enough, to already practically be perfect, you are, all, you are still guilty of sin. And so it's right on the heels of this, there, there is no gap between him healing the man born blind and what he says in chapter 10. Jesus goes right at him again. The very first verse of chapter 10, it's clear he's talking directly to the Pharisees, these hypocrites who claim to be good enough already. I'm not going to be reading these first few verses, but I encourage you to dig in, to read it, and study it yourselves. Jesus basically is telling them that they've been leading people astray. That the sheep won't even listen to these strangers' voices. He's calling them strangers. You, these sheep won't even listen to you because you're actually telling them a lie. You're telling them that faith, is, that salvation is not what it's about. That it's not about faith. That it's about adherence to a law. 
after he tells them this, the Pharisees kind of get a glazed over look in their eyes. They don't get what he's talking about. These Pharisees who have the entire Old Testament, which is their scripture, they know it very well. It's filled with sheep and shepherds and flocks. And the metaphor of the sheep and shepherd, they don't get what Jesus is telling them. So Jesus decides to explain it again. And that is where our text is going to be today. It's going to start at verse 7 of John chapter 10 and go through 18. And I like what we've done in the past here lately. So let's stand together as I read God's word this morning. Starting at verse 7 of John chapter 10 from the NIV. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired man and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. You may be seated. I forgot my water, so give me, a, give me one moment here. Jesus uses two metaphors back to back. The first metaphor is a smaller metaphor. He doesn't use it for nearly as long. And this first metaphor, he is saying that he is the gate into the pasture. Again, this is all a giant, this is all a metaphor. But he is saying, and this is on your, on your sheet that you have, he is the only way in. Those that try to get in any other way are just thieves and robbers. But if you go in through Jesus into the pasture, you will be saved. And here I have a feeling he's more referencing you'll be saved from these thieves and robbers that might attack. You'll be safe inside the pasture if you enter through him. And when Jesus refers to those who have come before, he is referring to false prophets and teachers that were littered throughout Israel's history. These false teachers tried to lure the Israelites away from the truth. And the truth has always been the same, that we have salvation through faith. So if you want to write this down, write down Jeremiah 23, verses 1 and 2 for a reference. So I'm not going to read that. But in this passage, through Jeremiah, the Lord speaks and is yelling at these false prophets. And it does say, who have scattered the flock. Exactly how Jesus talks about it here. 
These false prophets and teachers have scattered the flock. And so while the thieves, which would be the false teachers of the day, try to destroy because they're trying to pull people away from the truth, Jesus allows people into his pasture where they can have, as we see in verse 10, have life to the full, have abundant life. Throughout John's gospel and even in his letters, John uses that phrase, that you have life to the full, abundant life. That is like a theme for John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who wrote this gospel. And you could listen to sermon upon sermon about abundant life found in Jesus Christ. But today we're going to move on to Jesus' second and main metaphor that is found in John chapter 10. Especially in verse 11. Where he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is completely dedicated to his sheep. 100% dedicated. This, pa- this paragraph compares the shepherd, and specifically the shepherd who owns the sheep, and the hired hand. The hired hand doesn't care about the sheep. He's just in it for the pay. It's just a job to him. When David went to go fight Goliath, he had to leave his flock in the hands of a shepherd. Not himself, but someone else. Now remember Matthew 10, where that Pastor Jeff spoke on a few weeks ago, where we are, we are sheep among the wolves? Well, if a hired hand was watching the sheep, the first snarl that he heard, he'd just be gone. Like, I don't need this. I don't need to sacrifice myself. I'm just a hired hand. But yet, Jesus says how he lays down his life for the sheep. He is completely invested in the sheep. And this actually reminds me of a passage from 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Israelites are going up against the Philistines who have presented Goliath to fight. While all the Israelites are just quaking their boots, no one is strong enough or courageous enough to fight Goliath. And David is like, I can do, I can. I don't know what you guys are so afraid of. We have the Lord on our side. I can do this. Saul's a little doubtful, and he pretty much says this to his face. He's like, how are you going to defeat Goliath? And his response is what I love in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And then when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. This is no hired hand. This is his father's flock that David is very invested in. Now multiply that 1,000-fold, and that is Jesus' dedication to his father's sheep, us. Many times through this passage, Jesus says, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd does. He is drilling it into the Pharisees, because again, that's who he's talking to, and to us reading today, so that we understand the strength and the courage and the power that resides in what is hopefully the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. He will forsake the 99 to go after the one sheep that strays. 
as, as David said he did. The next paragraph, especially verse 14, Jesus reiterates the same claim about being the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. He knows his sheep inside and out. And when he uses the word knows, I don't think he's just saying, oh, hey, that's Chuck in the, coming in in the parking lot out there. He knows them inside and out. He knows the hairs on our head. He knows our every thought and emotion. Just like a good shepherd, he knows the individual personalities of his sheep. He knows which sheep are going to maybe get into a little bit of trouble, which sheep might kind of wander away if they're going on a little journey, what sheep might be especially scared of moving water. Well, Jesus knows us 10,000 times better than that. And I get the feeling that his sheep know that he will lay down his life for them. And so they trust him completely. Well, let's look at verse 16 for a moment. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking to the Pharisees here. He's directing this completely at the Pharisees, and who he is referencing here are Gentiles. I doubt the Pharisees want to hear this. The Pharisees have this, you know, we are the chosen ones only, and especially by following the law and all these other laws we've been adding on top of it. That's the way to go. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to incorporate any, everyone who listens to me and who follows me, I'm going to incorporate them into the flock. And it will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. And that's a very subtle claim, but once again, as he does throughout the Gospels, he is saying, I am God. There's one flock, one shepherd. Again, the Pharisees don't want to hear any of this stuff that he's saying to them. I guarantee it. And Paul, in his letters that we see in the New Testament, he brings up the unity of the body over and over again. Well, as we see, Jesus mentioned it well before any of the other authors in the New Testament did. The unity of the body. The unity of the one flock. We took communion earlier. We meditated on Christ's sacrifice for us. Verses 17 and 18 of this passage perfectly reference that sacrifice. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. Now, when he talks about laying down his life here, I don't think he's merely talking about protection from wolves. He's going another step further about an eternal sacrifice. When the chief priests and teachers and elders of the law mocked Jesus as he was on his way to the cross, they said, you claim to be so powerful, yet you can't even save yourself. They couldn't have been more wrong. And this shows it. 
He could have removed himself from the cross. He could have even stopped himself from getting to the cross. But God the Father willed that he would give his life to take away our punishment. And as it said here, he laid down his life of his own accord. He willingly chose to listen to his father and to lay down his life. And then what happened on the third day? He rose again. Took up his life again. Our shepherd lives. So we have this wonderful imagery in the pasture that he's referring to here because the sheep can go in and out. They're safe inside the walls of the pasture, but because they have Jesus as their shepherd, even when he takes them out, they are safe under his watchful care and his protection. They can have rest. They don't fear the wolves. And the Bible is a powerful book of truth that reveals God's character of love, page after page after page, layering on more of God's love that we see. And we see that God has had a plan all along. Nothing nothing caught him for a loop. He was never fooled. He always had a plan for when we messed up in the garden. He always had a plan in mind. And we see that in the Bible. But I challenge us to go a step further. The Bible is also a call to arms, a call to action, a call to respond. If Jesus' declaration of being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep melts our heart, if it fills us with joy in his presence, it absolutely should. We should be filled with an immense, overwhelming joy and assurance and peace of our destination if we trust in Christ. But if we just stop there, we're missing a great aspect of Scripture, the call to respond. At the, on the back side of your sheet, you have room for three questions. These questions are actually found in the next section, right after the section we just read. These questions are meant for self-reflection. I don't need to have a bunch of people standing up and having a public confessional of the different ways that you have maybe struggled or fallen short in your lives. This is about looking into your own life. And based on your answers, depending on how good or bad they are, it should be a call to action in your lives. So this section that we're going to look at here actually takes place during Hanukkah. And Jesus is walking in the temple, specifically in Solomon's colonnade. And there are Jews around him. And some of these Jews, they're just kind of fed up. They're like, Jesus, will you just tell us plainly, are you the Messiah or not? You've been giving us these parables, you've been doing all these other things, but just tell us, are you the Messiah? Jesus responds like this. Verse 25. I did tell you, but you do not believe The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, if you continue reading through the end of the passage, you'll see the further benefits we have of being part of Jesus' flock. He has given us eternal life as part of his family. 
And if we, can, if we know and we can say that the Lord Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and shepherd today, if I can say that, then I know that I have eternal place with him. And that no one's going to take that away from me. But this passage leads us to our questions today. Number one, do you believe Jesus? It kind of seems harsh, the way that Jesus puts it. But he puts it pretty plainly. Those that do not believe in Jesus are not his sheep. If you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and shepherd, then you can kind of just go right past this part. That's fine. But if you're, if you're standing at the gate, if you're sitting at the gate or, or looking at it and you're not sure, do I want to go into that pasture? Do I, do I want to enter through that gate and be part of his fold where he cares for me and lays down his life for me? Do I want that? I, I don't know if I do or not. Know that Jesus is waiting to let you in. No strings attached to his pasture. You just accept him as Lord and shepherd of your life. And if you are standing outside the gate, if you are wondering what that entails, what that means, why, Pastor Jeff, myself, there there are other deacons here, there are many people in this room that would gladly talk to you about why it is the most important decision that you could possibly make in your lives to join and be part of his pasture and his flock. But those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, I want us to kind of go another step further. Do we believe that Jesus can do what he says he will do? Do we believe in the power that he has, absolutely has proven and has? Or do we sometimes doubt, maybe not even realizing it, Again, these are just thoughts to think it over. Question number two. Do you listen to his voice? Do you actually seek out his will in your lives? We know that those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, let him be Lord of our lives. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us to guide us, to correct us, And if we listen, he will always guide the way. But do we listen? Or like the Pharisees, do we turn a deaf ear when he speaks something maybe we don't like? And the third question, do you follow him? Jesus makes it pretty clear in this passage. His sheep believe him, listen to him, and follow him. Now, the Bible is full of faithful men and women. You can think of a list of them, if you've read the Bible, who have shown great faith in God and yet have stumbled at times. We talked about Jonah at Bible study on Thursday. He stumbled a little bit, (laughs) if you read his story. You look at Peter, the rock. He denied Jesus three times. But they would always listen They would always, if they started going one step off the path, they would turn around 
and they would listen and they would follow Jesus. So do you listen to the Spirit's nudging in your lives if you're starting to get off track a little bit? If you're starting to ignore Jesus' leading in your life, do you listen to him? Do you follow? And do we follow him in every aspect of our lives? I think even I have been guilty of sometimes separating my church life from work or from home or just hanging out with friends. They're separate. The church life is obviously the most important. Why does the rest of it matter? We need to follow Jesus with every aspect of our lives. Do we follow when he leads, or do we only follow him when he leads us by the still waters? Or might we follow him if he kind of leads us up a little bit of rocky terrain? He laid down his life for us. That's how much he cares for his sheep. So we should have no reason not to trust him. Just as in the other I am statements, Jesus is directly saying how he is God. That he and the Father are one. When the, some of the Jews asked for the bread of heaven, that manna that the Israelites received in the wilderness, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Come to me. And when the Israelites were remembering the pillar of fire that God led them by night in the wilderness, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And the Israelites, who have always looked at the Lord as their shepherd, Jesus is saying, I am he. I am the good shepherd. So the good shepherd of the Old Testament is right here, walking in front of us, walking before us, walking beside us.